Good morning. Everybody doing okay? You guys good? All right. There's a couple people who are good up here on the front. Uh, so if you've never been to church here before, um, we're starting a new book of the Bible. This is all we do. We take a book of the Bible, we work through it chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. It's all we've ever done. Our church will be 14, I think, next month, February 15th. And yeah, yeah, means I'm getting old. Uh, and um, we've been doing this the whole time. I think we've gotten through about 34, 35 books of the Bible, something like that. Um, a little bit more than half of the Bible. So about the time I retire, maybe we will have gotten through this entire book. And uh, some of the reason why it's taken us a little bit longer is there are some books that you go back and you do again. And the Gospels are, are, are some of those books. I've done Matthew several times. I've done the book of John uh, several times or the Gospel of John several times. And it's important to go back and revisit that. So that being said, um, we're not gonna do all of chapter one today because there is just too much good information in there. And then I've gotta give a little bit of a historical background and a little bit about the author, which I'll do here in a moment. So we're only gonna go through about verse 18 in this today. So because we have a lot to cover, uh, there's no time for one of my hilarious anecdotes or one of my great stories. So yeah, right. Someone at the five started clapping when I said that. They were back there in the back. Now, I thought that was kind of rude, but you know, anyways, so maybe they just wanted to get right to the word, so that's, that's a good thing. But uh, So we're gonna jump into it relatively quick. What we are gonna talk about today is we are going to ask kind of the question that is fundamental to Christianity. It's, it's, it's kind of at the bedrock of, of everything that Christians believe, and this is something that I think sometimes we take this question for granted and we don't go back and revisit this question, who, who is Jesus? So we're gonna talk about that, and the reason why we're gonna talk about today is, that today is because from the onset of the Gospel of John, that is John's purpose, is to establish who Jesus is. And this is still important today because there is such a, a twisted and sometimes perverse view of who Jesus is. Some people think he was just a really cool guy that taught some nice things or just someone that really loved the poor and kind of fringe of society. And he was those things, but, but much more than that. And we're gonna talk about that today. So if you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament. We're, I don't know, I always try to gut, judge percentage-wise, 70% of the way through. We're in the fourth book of the New Testament. Um, you should have got notes handouts when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say is in those Handouts. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes. Everything is there. And of course, everything will be on the screen. So uh, this is a good time to start coming to the church if you're new. This is a, a wonderful uh, book of the Bible to kind of get started on. Good way to start the year. And um, we'll work through it. I don't know how long we're going to work through it. It's it, it, as long as it takes. And so uh, we may be in this six months. We may be in this eight months. We, we have no idea. So we'll just work through it as, as uh, God kind of wants us to. So let me pray. I'm gonna go over some brief history. We will jump into this. We're only going through 18 verses, uh, but they are, they are huge verses, and we'll talk about the identity. Who is Jesus? Let me, let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you, God, that we have the opportunity and the freedom to, to come into this place and uh, to get out of the elements, God, and to be able to worship you freely, to be able to read this book freely, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that it brings, God. I pray, Lord, that today you just keep your hand on this church. We pray, Father, not only for this church, we pray for every church in our city that teaches the truth. We pray for our other campuses and all the cities, uh, all, the, all the churches in those cities. And we pray, God, for all the wonderful nonprofits that we get to, that we get to work with and serve with, Lord. Ultimately, God, though, our, our main prayer is, Lord, that, that everything we do this morning, that it makes you proud, God that it brings us closer to you, that, it, that, that, that the honor does not go to, to us, Lord, but all the honor is deflected towards you. We love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. Keep your hand on us, God. We pray all these things in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me give you some brief history on the Gospel of John. The first is, and you can probably deduce, um, that it was written by a guy named John. Uh, this is not disputed at least not very often is this disputed. There are some books of the Bible where we do not know the author. The book of Hebrew, we don't know for sure who wrote that. Many people think Paul, but we don't know for a fact. So there is some dispute on who wrote certain books of the Bible. Not so much with this book of the Bible. So John was one of the 12 disciples, one of the, the 12 closest followers of Jesus. Not only was he one of the closest 12, he was in what was called the inner three. So you had Peter, James, and John, who were kind of the closest of the close 
close to, to Jesus. I think I just invented a word right there, closed. Uh, just, you know, cram it. We do that with towns around Tennessee. Maybe we can just do that with other words. It's not Shelbyville, it's just Shelbyville, and we just kind of like mumble it together, right? Anyways, off topic. We're at the 11, so we can take a little bit more time in liberty with these things. So, <laughs> some interesting things about John. Um, John was one, uh, he was the only one of the 12 disciples to die a natural death. He was the only one of the 12 disciples who was present when Christ was crucified on the cross. A lot of interesting things about him. John probably wrote this book of the Bible in the 80s, not the 1980s. He wasn't listening to like Depeche Mode when he penned this or anything. This was the original 80s, the, the, the beginning of this millennium. And he wrote this before he was exiled. He was kicked out of the Roman Empire because of his faith. He was boiled alive. He didn't die. They kicked him off to an island called Patmos. It's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Um, he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. John, but this was written before uh, those other contributions to the Bible. Now, we don't call this the book of John. We call this the gospel of John. The reason why is that word gospel has kind of a specific meaning. It means the good news. And, and, and more specifically, it is the direct teachings of Jesus Christ to his followers. Now, we call the first four books of the New Testament the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can make a pretty good argument, and I think you guys would probably agree with this. I think the entire Bible is the gospel, but for our sake, for clarity, we're gonna talk about John as being one of the four gospels. So the point is this. Everything we're gonna cover in the gospel of John was a firsthand witness of the things that happened. So this wasn't passed down from people to people to people. This was John directly seeing these things, and then he eventually wrote about these things. Now, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of focus a little bit more on the Jewish community because it was written by Jewish people in Israel, right? So it, was, it, it focuses more on Jewish people who had more of a history leading up to Jesus' coming. John's Gospel is a little bit different. His was kind of written for everybody else. Now, the other Gospels, all four Gospels, we can read and get a lot from them, tons from them. The principles, the teachings are all universal, but John's was kind of unashamedly kind of targeting Greeks and Romans, non-believers. And a big reason why is because he wrote this from a town called Ephesus. It was a Roman city. It was one of the most affluential Roman cities. It was a very diverse city. They would have, John would have walked around and down the streets, he would have seen statues of Zeus and Mercury, and he would have seen all of this pagan worship in a very diverse community, very, very hedonistic. And so it's really interesting to see kind of the culture in which John penned this contribution to the Bible. Now, if you wanna know where that is geographically, I'm gonna nerd out a couple of times during this lesson. Maps are one way I do that. Everyone knows Italy, the boot. Right between Italy and what is modern day Turkey, you have Greece. And then on the west coast of Turkey, you have Ephesus. The Bible calls Turkey, Asia Minor. So if you're ever reading the Bible and it says Asia Minor, this is Asia Minor right there, what we would call Turkey nowadays. So he was right on the coast, a very beautiful area, very prosperous area, also a very sinful and pagan area. Not many people knew the truth yet at that time. So the purpose of this, this, this book of the Bible is a couple of things, and one of them is kind of a spoiler alert. The first one is, John wants to make the case that Jesus was not just a good man, a revolutionary teacher. Jesus is God. So John's case starts in chapter one. We're gonna cover that today. And the entire rest of this book is him reaffirming his point that Jesus is God in the flesh. Another thing he's going to talk about is faith. This is really interesting. How we would say seeing is believing John would say, when it comes to God, it's the exact opposite. You have to want to see the truth in order to see it. You have to have a desire to see God, to see God. So it's not seen as believing. Believing means you will see. So it's the opposite of what our natural senses kind of tell us to do. We're also gonna talk about salvation a lot through this gospel. That Jesus is the savior of mankind and that our hope, our life, and the light, the, the, the way that we know how to live our life comes through a relationship with God and that comes through the Trinity. And we'll talk about that, the Father, Son, and Spirit a little bit today, all right? So we're gonna dive into this. It starts off really deep and heavy and it's awesome. 
And uh, we're gonna work through verse 18 eventually, okay? Let me start though. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So the first thing that John is gonna focus on, this, these, these couple of verses that I just read, focus on the eternality of Jesus. What that means is that Jesus has always existed. Now I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag this morning. We're gonna talk about a couple of things to where I have no idea what the answer is. There are a couple of questions that sometimes people bring up like, well, if, if God created everything, what was God doing before creation? I don't know, no one knows. We're gonna talk about a couple of things to where we're just not gonna have the answers for those things. So the central focus though is that Jesus has always existed. So this means the Jesus who walked on earth has always existed. If he has always existed, that means that he is in fact the creator God. They are one and the same. So John calls Jesus the word, which sounds like a really odd title for God. But in Jewish terminology, that would have been very normal. It was very normal for Jews to refer to God as the Word. The point is simply this, though. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God incarnate. That is what he is starting off with. The other thing that we don't have a good answer on is chapter 1 of John introduces the idea of the Trinity. That word literally means triunity, three in one that we worship one God, we don't worship multiple gods, we worship one God, but that one God is manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, Corey, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to anybody. No one understands this, and listen, that's okay. He is an infinite God, and we are finite creations of that infinite God. If we could understand everything about God, there would be no awe inspiration of God. There'd be no desire to know more of him or to get closer to him. Well, Corey, I understand the Trinity. It's like an egg. It's not. It is much more complicated than those things that you have a dozen of in your fridge, if you can afford that, still nowadays. Anyways, it is not like that at all. It is much more complex. And listen, that's okay. If you go to the book of Revelation, everyone likes the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, there are a group of angels that it says are circling around God all the time on his throne, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. That word holy can be translated a couple of different ways, set apart, unique, um, um, specific towards something that is, that is magnificent and different. It can also mean awe-inspiring, something that is outside of our understanding. So you have angels that are flying around God, and God knows how long, literally, right? So they're flying around God and they keep saying holy, 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 which can mean incomprehensible, unexplainable, magnificent, different than everything else. And these angels that have been circling around him for, again, we don't have any idea how long, they're still blown away with God. They're still learning more about God. And maybe in our eternity, one of the things that keeps eternity from being boring is that we are constantly learning more about our creator, that we are constantly in awe of the one who made us. And that's okay. We're not gonna under understand everything on this side of heaven because we're finite and he is infinite. We do know that in him was life. The revelation of Jesus to humanity was the revelation of life. Now that means a couple of different things. We cannot truly live without being saved. Salvation is life. Salvation literally means to be born again. And this, is, this works on a couple of different levels. It means that when we are saved, knowing Jesus means that we have life that is fulfilling right now, meaningful right now, as we're living right now. It is also the promise of eternity with God in heaven, life everlasting. And the only way these two things are possible are through the teachings of Jesus through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the only way that we can be forgiven of the evil we've done that separates us from God. This is the only way we can be reconciled to our creator. 
This is how Jesus brings us life. And all of this goes back to Genesis. If you see, even CSX is like, get him, Corey. It, it, at the beginning of this Bible, the beginning of this Bible and the beginning of the Gospel of John sound very, very similar in the beginning. So not only is Jesus the creator that we read about in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Jesus is also the promise to restore the creation that made a mistake in Genesis chapter 3. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens, the earth, everything on it, creates everything that we see, not only on this planet, but, but what exists throughout the entire universe. We know that in Genesis chapter three, and most of you have heard this, whether you're a believer or not, that, that the devil comes in, tempts Eve. Eve then gives the, the fruit to her husband. They both sin, they rebel against God. God shows up, asks, what have you done? What has happened here? And then God gives a prophecy in Genesis chapter three. He says, I will send someone to take care of this serpent, to deal with the devil, to step on the devil's head. That someone he was to send is Jesus. So not only is Jesus the create, creator, he's the one that restores the creation. So Jesus was the promised savior. Jesus was the light that was to be sent to us to show us how to get out of our darkness is, a huma is humanity and our individual darkness. It is through a relationship with Jesus that we come out of confusion and we find knowledge and we find the path that we are to live. And what is really amazing about these first five, verse, five verses is John says, this light cannot be overcome. There's nothing that can extinguish this light. That should give us peace. It should give us peace that Jesus that we follow is in fact the creator God and he has no competition. What that means is this on a practical level, that when we leave this place, the world is bat crap crazy. It is very easy for, for us to be depleted. It is very easy for us to get sidetracked. It is very easy to feel like the darkness is overcoming us. But the word of God says there is no amount of evil that can overcome God. And so we should walk in confidence if we have a relationship with God. We should walk in hope if we have a relationship with God because the light that shines in the darkness cannot be overcome because that light is the creator God himself and he is on your side. He loves you and I, okay? All right, let's keep going. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God." Now, the, the John that, that is being spoken of right here in verse six is not the author John. This was, a, this was another John. This is John the Baptist. This is a man that was sent by God to basically pave the way for Jesus. He came as kind of a forerunner and told everyone, hey, get ready, the Savior is coming. So he would teach people about Jesus. He would baptize people in preparation for, for them to meet Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. John was a very, very dynamic individual, and he was a witness. John's whole point, this is very important, was to not bring attention to himself, but to divert that attention to the one that he represented. This is for us. A good witness does not draw attention to themselves, but to the one that they represent. Take that yellow line right there and compare that to the rock star pastor culture that we have in the United States. Think about it for a second. It is not the individual on the stage. It is not the name on the building. It is not the music they write. It's not any of that. They are not the light. A good witness's whole job is not to talk about what they can do, but to divert all that attention and reliance, not on an individual, but on the God that created the individual. 
As good witnesses, it is not about us. We are to awaken people, just like John. We are to help awaken people for their need, not for us, but their need for our creator, for God. And so I love what John the author writes. He says, John the Baptist was not the light. The guy on the TV with his hand on the screen saying, just send me 1995. He's not the light. The church that has a super hip dude with the pants that are way too tight, that guy's not the light. The author of that book that we read instead of the good book is not the light. Listen, I'm not saying all those people are evil or wrong, but they cannot save your soul. Well, if I can just get to that place and have that person touch me or that people. No, no, no. The same Holy Spirit that is in them is in you. We all carry this light. John was not the Savior. He was just someone who told someone about the Savior. Now listen, John the Baptist was very famous. Everyone knew who he was. It wasn't his, 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 it wasn't his fame that was sinful or, or, or it wasn't his fame that he had to avoid. The sinful part would have been if he, if he absorbed that attention into himself. So we are to live as humble servants of Christ. The world doesn't need us per se. I know the world needs the church. I believe in the church and I believe we are the hands and feet of God. But the world doesn't need me. My neighbor doesn't need me. My neighbor needs the light that is in me. And it's the same thing with with, with all of you. We are catalysts. We are couriers of the light. Another thing that we often hear Christians do, and and I'm not trying to be a jerk or make fun of you if you ever had one of the bracelets or anything, but when Christians go, well, what would Jesus do? This is why we have this book. We have this book so we don't just ask, you know, like just absurdly out in the middle of nowhere, what would God do in this situation? We have this big, thin, thick, dense book that shows us the character and nature of God. And John writes that, that Jesus was in the world but people didn't recognize him. They didn't, they, they didn't miss who Jesus was because Jesus wasn't visible. They didn't miss who Jesus was or the teachings of God because they weren't clear. They didn't miss, they didn't miss Jesus and who he was because there was a lack of evidence. Who are you? I'm God. Well, I don't believe you. Well, I just raised this guy from the dead over here. I just made that blind guy see. I just fed 15,000 people with a couple of fish and loaves of bread. The clarity was there. The problem wasn't, was Jesus unclear? The problem was, is we tend to want to follow our own path versus what the Bible tells us to do. Most Christians who ask, well, what would Jesus do? Or they purport to tell you what Jesus would do. You have to go back to scripture because this is the mind of God. This tells us exactly what God would do in our situations. Another thing that people say sometimes, this is mostly non-believers, is they say, well, if, if I could just see God, I would believe. Not true. All throughout human history, people have seen God in one way or another. All of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, as they were walking through the desert at night, there was a pillar of fire that led them and showed them the way to go. During the day, there was a cloud of smoke. When they were hungry, manna miraculously fell from heaven. When they were thirsty, Water came out of a rock. When they needed to cross the sea, it split and they crossed on dry land. And what do the children of God do the first time that their leader leaves for a couple of days? They melt down all their jewelry and build their own God and they start worshiping that instead. And they saw God. Well, we pick on the Jews, but what about the the, the people in the New Testament? Again, Jesus is walking around saying all this truth, performing miracles that prove that he was God. And what did they do to him? They eventually killed him. And even in our day and age, the Bible says in Romans that there is evidence of God's existence all around us. The the, the problem is not the lack of evidence. Again, the problem is our rebellious nature. It's that we wanna do what we wanna do. It's our selfishness. And we say, well, if God would just show himself, I would believe. The audacity and the arrogance, he is God. He is God. And he has made himself evident in this universe if we will just look around. So Jesus is the light. Talks about light a lot. Jesus is the light because he illuminates the path in which we are to go. This is very simple. This is not hard to understand. Jesus is the light because without that, we're we're in utter darkness. We don't know what direction to go. Jesus comes and he says, go this way. 
That's why Jesus says, I am the way, I am the light. You follow the path that he sets, we are reconciled to God, we are forgiven of our sin. It says we are adopted into the family of God. So the people who call themselves Christians, theoretically, are people who have accepted that we're not born just of a natural descent. We are born again. Yes, we're all born naturally. That's why you're in this room, because you were birthed by your mother. To be a Christian, though, means we have been born a second time of a supernatural descent of God. What that simply means is this. You are more than just your bodies. And that means more than, than what I'm just saying there. What that means is this. You are more than just your appetites. Look, let's just be honest and real in this morning. You are more than just your sexual desires. You are more than just the things you want. You are more than just materialism. You are more than the things that the world tells you to constantly gravitate towards. You are not just a body with a soul on the side. You are a soul with a body on the side. We've gotten it backwards. The eternal part of you is not this. It is your soul. And we neglect the eternal part for the temporary part more often than we should. So we're designed to not solely live by the natural. You have to live by the natural. You have to eat in order to keep living, right? You have to take care of yourself. We have to move and do things so our muscle system stays healthy and things like that. But we are not to only live by the natural. We are to live by the supernatural as well. Why? Because as Christians, we should have a supernatural God residing in us. So things like prayer, things like the Word of God, things like obeying the Word of God, enable us to live and to see the supernatural happen in our lives. And I'm not talking about like kooky weird stuff, right? I'm not talking about gold dust coming from the ceiling or a bunch of bull crap that's just a trick and a, a ploy to get people to, to wild churches. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that if we live according to the teachings of the word of God, we will see addicts get delivered of their addiction. Amen. That we will see broken marriages get restored that we will see people who were suicidal or my Lord, even homicidal. Paul, who wrote 70% of the New Testament, was a murderer, that there were people that do horrible things that by the supernatural power of God, that even we can be saved. Amen. That we will see these things happen, but we have to live in that supernatural side. Amen. We have to believe that God can do miraculous things, powerful things. We're more than just our flesh, okay? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Let me pause there for a second. If you're ever watching some celebrity pastor, or you're ever watching some, boy, I use the word prophet really, really loosely, some of these guys on TV and things like that, and they say, well, I had a God and I sat and I saw God. This is why the Bible is so important. No one has ever seen God in his fullness. No one on this earth living right, has ever seen God in his fullness. That's why it's so important that we balance everything. Everything I say from up here, you need to make sure you check it with the word of God. Don't ever just take it as truth. Make sure that what I am telling you is lining up with this word. And we should do that with everyone that speaks. No one has ever seen God. The one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. So verse 14 introduces us to something called the, the, the doctrine of incarnation. That sounds much more fancy than what it actually is. It's not hard to understand. The, doctor, the doctrine of incarnation simply means that God became flesh and dwelt among us, walked around with us. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God was not personal on this level. In the Old Testament, they had the temple or the tabernacle. 
And what was important about the temple or the tabernacle is that it was kind of a central hub to, to where God worked with his people. What I mean by that is you would make sacrifices at the temple and you would receive forgiveness in the temple. You would hear teaching in the temple. Uh, the source of God's glory was kind of focused in the temple. The, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Indiana Jones. The Ark of the Covenant was in the temple. And that's where the glory of God kind of rested. It was the focus of the worship of the people was at the temple. What this is saying is that when Jesus came, he was replacing the temple. That it was no longer that we had to make a pilgrimage to a temple, that now the temple, the tabernacle, God resides right here. It is now personal. He is now with every single individual if they want him to be. So no longer do you have to go to a building. God, I'm not talking about this. We need to be at church. I'm talking about no longer do you have to make your sacrifice at a building. No longer can you only receive grace in a building. No longer can you only hear the truth in a building that God is with us. And so the coming of Jesus gave us clarity. We're gonna see that through the gospel. We're gonna see that as we work through the, 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 the gospel of John that Jesus is just very clear. Jesus came to make our salvation not about our works. It's not about what we can do and what we can sacrifice. Salvation is now because of what he has done and what his sacrifice has been on the cross. And through a relationship with Jesus, we receive tremendous amounts of grace. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more here in a second, but, but we need to pause. One of the problems with the church in the United States, and man, this guy really busts on the church in the United States. Guys, it's because we are a dumpster fire. Church in the United States is, is, is absolutely, it's anemic, it is sick, it is shrinking at, at unprecedented pace right now. It's in bad shape. So we need to talk about that. One of the reasons why I believe the church in the United States is hurting so bad is we hear words like grace and we take that as a license to think that we can do whatever we wanna do because God always forgives. That is like having, uh, that's like having an adulterous affair on your wife and she forgives you and then you're like, I guess I can do that again. You're not gonna be married very long if you do that, but we do that to our husband. And so Paul addresses this in one of his letters to, to, to the churches. Paul addresses this and he says, should we sin more so grace abounds? Paul says, absolutely not. When God forgives us of something egregious we do, that shouldn't give us license to think we can keep on doing it. That should make us fall in love more with him, more with his righteousness and holiness, so we gravitate to more towards him and further away from the sin that we committed. That's what grace should do is propel us towards Jesus, not away from him. But we have abused this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls this cheap grace, cheap grace. And we receive grace, look at this, this is neat. We receive grace, John says, from, from Jesus' fullness. What the heck does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Look at this, this is really neat. The first thing fullness means is it means repletion. And in, in a word that we use more often than that is replenish. So if you're out of something, you replenish it, you get stocked up. What this means is we receive grace from God and we are replenished by it. When we are lacking strength, when we are lacking clarity in our lives, when we are lacking the desire to go on, the Holy Spirit of God replenishes us. It fills us back up. And if we're being honest, it is very easy to go out in this world and get depleted, is it not? Amen. Corey, what are you talking about? Drive from the north side of Murfreesboro to the south side, Amen. and you wonder if like the Spirit slipped out the sunroof or something. Because <laughs> you're, you're thinking awful thoughts, murderous, terrible thoughts. That's you guys, I don't think these thoughts. <laughs> it's bad, man. And what's real bad is I've often thought, maybe I should get my windows really, really tinted. Because someone's gonna look at the angry guy in the car and be like, I go to his church. <laughs> and that's not good. But we have to be replenished, repletion. The other thing that fullness means right there, this one's very important, is it means completion. What that means is this, by the listen to this, by the grace of God, Christians do not have to be a slave to impressing the world around us. Amen. Do you hear that? That means that, that in Christ, if my identity is found in Christ, 
I don't have to live up to, to what the world thinks is valuable or is, or is acceptable. We have this problem, again, especially right now in American culture. We find our identity in absolutely everything except for the one thing that we are made in the image of. Amen. We find our identity in our skin color, in our nationality, in our sexual preference, in our gender, and how much is in our bank account, what football team we like, blah, 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 blah. And not all of those things are wrong or evil, but that is not what you are made in the image of. Those things will not complete you. Jesus Christ, who you, in the, who you are made in the image of, will complete you. This is the only way to find peace and fulfillment, and that's by the grace of God. Another thing that John says that is quite brilliant is he said the law was given to us through Moses. That is the Ten Commandments. That's in Exodus chapter 20. The reason why the Ten Commandments are so important is that is the bar by which we are all to live. That is the standard by which every single one of us is to live our lives by the Ten Commandments. Now, if you go back and read Exodus chapter 20 and you read through the Ten Commandments, we can get kind of arrogant and go, got it. I do all of those. I don't kill. I don't, I don't commit adultery. I, I've done all these things. The problem is, is Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he lets us know that we don't do a very good job with those things. Those arrogant religious people who say, well, I do all the Ten Commandments. He goes, well, have you ever hated anyone? If you have, you've committed murder in your heart. Well, I've never cheated on my wife. You ever lusted? Well, yeah, then you've committed adultery. And then we find out we've already broke 20% of the 10 commandments right there. Amen. So here's what, what happens. God gives Moses the 10 commandments, which is the bar we are to live at. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and lets us know it is impossible for us to live at that bar. So what are we to do? What we are to do is to put our hope in Jesus Christ, who is capable of living by that standard, and he makes up the gap. So listen, this is important. So we do our best to, to live by those 10 commandments, knowing that we're going to make mistakes at times. And when we make those mistakes, when we sin, God shows us his grace and stands in that gap. That means this, one day, every single one of us will stand in front of the great throne of judgment, God Almighty, and we will be judged for the life that we have lived by every word and deed, the Bible says. The Bible says there will be a book of all of our lives. Now that can sound a little intimidating. And when we stand there in front of God, possibly we will know that we have not lived up to that standard that he wanted us to live to. The beautiful thing though is, is if we have a relationship with Jesus, listen, when God looks at us to eternally judge us, he doesn't see an imperfect Corey Trimble. He only sees a perfect Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, hold, somebody, I hope that is soaking into you. I think we forget it sometimes that because of the grace of God, that God does not see the imperfections of us. He just sees the perfection of the God in us, of Christ in us. And we are declared holy. The Bible says, be holy as he is holy. The only, way we can, the only way we can be holy like God is to have God in us. And that's how we are declared holy. And so Moses saw briefly what's called a theophany of God. The Bible says no one has ever seen God. Well, some of you scholars in here would say, well, in Exodus 33, Moses saw God. Not, not really. He saw what's called a theophany. That's basically just a, a physical manifestation of God. And when he saw that, he didn't even see the fullness of it. Moses goes, can I see you? And God's like, you couldn't handle that if you saw me. So I'll let you see a little bit of me from a distance behind a rock. And even when Moses saw that, it says, the Bible says that, that his physical countenance changed. It, it, was, it was almost too much just to see a glimmer of God. We know that seeing God is, in, that we can't do it as humans. We can't, I don't know if we could live through it. We, we kind of get a glimpse of that because every time someone sees an angel in the New Testament, it says that they fall out like dead people, which means they pass out. John actually writes that in Revelation. He saw an angel, fell down, right? Angel had to, you know, I don't know if he had to smack him around or wake him up and be like, hey, it's okay. But it was a lot to take in. So here's the thing, when Jesus came, he was revealed to, God was revealed to us. God was not revealed to us physically, visibly, but God was revealed to us through Jesus in his nature, in his character. 
So everything Jesus does in the Gospel of John, that is the mind of God. That is the heart of God. And we see that Jesus is the life. He is the light. Why? Because he is God. And this is essential to theology. This is essential to being a Christian. He wasn't just a great guy. He wasn't just an advocate for the fringe. He was God. He was God on earth, okay? Not just God on earth. That God is an omnipotent God. So John chapter one and Genesis chapter one, again, they're very similar. They're very connected. And what they essentially teach us is this. There is one God. This is also core to Christian theology. There is one God, one God. There are not multiple gods, there is one God. He is all-knowing and he is all-powerful. The other thing about that God is he has no competition. I think there's some bad theology amongst Christians where we get this mental view of God and the devil arm wrestling and we're like, come on, God, you can do it. There is no struggle for God. There is no competition. God has an enemy, Satan, but if you wanna know how it's all gonna shake down, just go to the very back of the book of Revelation. There's a huge war where Jesus comes back on a, on a white horse. There's all of, all of the evil is all stacked up in front of him, the false prophet and the beast and everyone is stacked up against him and there's not even a fight. It says that Jesus opens his mouth and evil is forever obliterated. It is taken care of. And then he casts the devil into to, to hell for eternity. There, there is no fight there. Listen, the reason why it's important to know that God has no competition is this. When you go back out into this world, regardless of how aggressive and how hostile the world becomes, there's no amount of evil that can overcome the spirit of God that is in you. So listen, well, Corey, what if they kill our bodies? Then you wake up in paradise with God. Hallelujah. It's, it's, this is temporary. There is no overcoming the spirit that is in the believer. And listen, that God came to earth. And though we cannot handle the fullness of God yet, God sent his son, who is himself God, to be, listen, a comprehensible image of God. What that means is this. We don't understand the Trinity. We don't understand what eternity really looks like. We really can't map, uh, uh, wrap our mind around that. But we can understand the mind of God through Jesus. It is, it is understandable how we are to live, how we are to honor God. Many times throughout the gospel, Jesus will say this. He'll say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he teaches a parable that any middle school kid or elementary school kid could have easily grasped. So he comes as a very comprehensible example of who God is. In Jesus, we see through, through, through Jesus, through the teachings, through his principles, that he is loving. God is loving. God is gracious. God is clear. He is orderly. His teachings are simple. We're going to see they're so simple, but yet they are mind-blowingly profound. Simple things, but they, you step back and you go, oh my gosh. And they, they, they just almost blow your mind how profound the words of Jesus are. Let's go even further. This God, the creator of the universe, desires a relationship with us. That God is not sitting somewhere off in the cosmos, way off in the distance. He is personal. He is interactive. If you're new here, I'll, I'll tell you how much of a, a dork I am. I love things about space. Anything about space, I think is just absolutely fascinating. The other day I was sitting out, it was at nighttime, it was extremely clear, I can't remember what night it was, and it was just remarkably clear out and it was pleasant out. And I'm out in my driveway, my neighbors probably think I'm insane. You know, the neighbors out there at night talking to himself, looking at the sky, they probably think I'm crazy. But I'm sitting out there, brilliantly clear night, and, and I love things about space. We have a telescope in our house, we're one of those families. And, and I can pretty much look at the sky and I can tell you where the planets are most of the time. So I look up and I said, oh, that's Jupiter right there. That is Saturn right there. And then I looked right over here and you could see Mars right above my head. And on super clear nights, if you look at Mars when it's very, very clear and Mars is very bright, you can see that it's red. So sometimes you can just pick out Mars pretty easy because it's obviously not a star, it's, it's red. And so I'm sitting out there and this is where you guys are gonna think I'm a nerd 
And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at, I can see three planets and I'm standing on a fourth planet and I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I can see all these planets that are, that are millions of, of miles away from us in this huge, vast solar system. And in the middle of that, you see me sitting on this driveway. That in this vast universe, God says, hey, there's Corey. And he knows everything about me. The Bible says he knows every hair on my head, every thought that I've ever had or will have, and that he wants a personal relationship with me. Let's take it even further. Not only does the creator of the universe want a personal relationship with all of us, but he sent his son to come and to pay the price to be violently killed on a hunk of wood, to hang on it for hours and hours and hours. Why? To cover and, and, and redeem and to forgive us of all the evil that we have ever done. So not only can we be restored and our relationship be okay with our creator, listen, not only that, but so that we can live with him for eternity. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I gotta go, I gotta prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. If that were not true, I wouldn't have told you that. That not only does the God of the universe see you and know you, he longs to be with you forever in perfection, in a place where there will be no more abused children. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more threat of nuclear war. There will be no more crooked politicians or manipulation or broken homes. There will be no more of that. And God wants us there with him forever. This is, this is the gospel. And it's more than just good news. It's, it's the most imperative news that you will ever hear. It's the best thing that you will ever hear. The news that you are not alone. That our existence is not existential. That, that it's not for nothing. That you are made for a purpose and a reason. And listen, some of you are in this room right now going, Corey, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I know this. Well, then let me ask you in a rebuttal. Why aren't we living like it more? Amen. Why aren't we living in the knowledge that we are the center of God's attention? That we are the only thing in the universe made in his image. You are the only thing that has ever been created that resembles God. You are invaluable to him. I don't care if no one on planet earth knows who you are or cares. The God that created planet earth knows who you are and he cares. He sees you and he has proved that. How can I know that what you're telling me is real? God sent his only son to pay for the things that we have done wrong, to reconcile us to him. Why? so that we may have everlasting life. We need to walk in that knowledge. Every day of our life when we go out into the world, to know, God, you see me, you hear me, you want to be with me, that should inspire us to live a life that honors a God that would love us so much. And when we do that, not only are we saved and changed, you start to notice the people around you see it as well and other people's lives are affected by what God is doing through us. You are not alone. You are not alone. It is not hopeless. It is not existential. It is not meaningless. You are valuable, invaluable to the one that created you. This is the good news. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer, but maybe you're on a journey. I remember that journey, I was 23 years old. If you are in this room and, and, and you're, you're, you don't have the answers yet, you're, but you're looking, you're exploring. If you want up here on my right, your left, Pastor Jonathan is up here. He does our discipleship here at the church. If you have any questions, Jonathan would love to talk with you. He'll do his best to answer any questions he can, he can answer for you. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything in your life, 
family, friends, job situation, health, finances, whatever. Let someone pray with you, okay? The last thing is, and I want to encourage you not to, not to just rush out of the room. All the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and if you're sitting in the middle, there's some on these posts. There is bread and wine, and that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was, that was crucified for us, for our sins. Everyone is welcome to take the communion and remember what God has done for us as long as you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. That communion is a tangible reminder that God sees us, that he loves us so much that he would give his only son to die on a cross for us. And not just that, that he would resurrect and he would give us the Holy Spirit so we would have everything we need, that we would be completed, repleted. Father God, we love you. Lord, for all of us in this room, Father, do not let us forget that we are not alone. Do not let us forget, Lord, and do not let us grow apathetic in the knowledge that you see us right now, God, as we, are, as we are sitting in this room right now. You see us. You see our struggles. You see our insecurities. You see our doubts. You see our fears. Lord, you also see our potential. And you see what we could be if we would just trust you. So that's my prayer, Lord, this morning, is that we would trust you that we would understand, God, that you love us and value us, that you, that you want to help us and be our life and be our light. God, protect everyone in this room. Keep them safe until we meet again. We love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. You're welcome to help yourself however you need to. Thank you.